Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 129. So if you're a longtime listener to the podcast and you're catching this on YouTube, you might be wondering why you can see me if this is a podcast. Well, I decided that I want to start doing some actual uh, video along with the audio. So I don't know if it'll be an ongoing thing for the long term. It's something that I'm trying because some of my favorite podcasts are actually podcasts that have a video component as well. Shout out to Rich Roll and Dr. Andrew Huberman, the Huberman Lab podcast. So I decided to kind of dabble in kind of this live video style or video style as well. So keep in mind, if you have been listening to the podcast on iTunes or Podbean, you can always check YouTube as well. And you may find the episode has a video component with it where you can see me. Otherwise, feel free to continue to listen on whatever podcast platform you like. So for today's episode, I wanted to start out like I always do. And because it's visual, if you are watching this on YouTube, you'll see I have notes in front of me. And that's the same way I do it when I record just the audio. So I'm going to refer to my notes just to kind of stay on track. So today is May 10th. And I always like to say the date because I think it's helpful because these podcasts kind of live on. And so as a listener, you could be listening really anytime. So today that uh, is the recording date, May 10th, 2021. Now, I want to just start out with a couple of quick uh, I guess you would call them announcements. And I think, um, you know, the reason I want to start this on the front end is because I really want to be sure that you catch these. And if I put them on the end of the podcast, there's a chance you may have dropped off. So I want to just uh, let you know a couple of quick things. All this week and last week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm doing a free series on Instagram. And this series is all about how to break down the subject of anatomy into its key topics. So if you haven't caught last week's episode, I, episodes, I just recorded today's episode and posted it. Go ahead and take a look at my Instagram page, Bare Bones Yoga, and you'll see this free video series and it's all geared 
to, you know, really teachers who you may be out there trying to study anatomy on your own, and you may be buying a book here or taking an online course there or going to a workshop here or there, and maybe you're feeling kind of scattered in your approach. And so what this will do is it will give you kind of a very sequential way to learn anatomy. And that's one of the most important things as a technique to cut the overwhelm. If you're trying, for instance, to learn a particular muscle before you understand how muscles work, well, that doesn't make sense. If you're trying to learn how to cue somebody in a particular yoga pose in an anatomy-based way, but you don't understand anatomical movements, well, that doesn't work. So my video series is all focused on giving you the step-by-step -step process that you can use to learn the subject of anatomy. So you can catch that on my Instagram page. The next thing I'm gonna uh, tell you about, I want you to save the date, May 19th at 5 p.m. Eastern, because that's when I am having a free training. It's gonna be a webinar and a launch party. So it's gonna be one big event. And what it's basically going to include is a free training where I walk you through a format for how to give effective cues. And then at the end of that webinar, I'm going to be opening enrollment and telling you the details as to how you can enroll in my signature program on anatomy called the Blueprint Learning Program. And because it's a party, there will be giveaways, books that I have, different um, gift certificates for different amounts of money. And it will be just kind of the prizes will be given in kind of a random raffle type way. So the only way, though, to be eligible for one of the prizes is to show up live. So be sure you save the date. Wednesday, May 19th at 5 p.m. Eastern. Over the next day or so, I'll have the invitation page ready and I will be able to put that on my social media pages and send it out to those of you on my VIP email list. Now, if you're not on my email list, go to my website, download any of the free tools that I have on there for teachers. You'll get the free tool and you'll be on my mailing list. And that's the best way to find out about the launch party rather than social media. Because you know, sometimes you don't see the posts when they come up. And then the last thing I wanna let you know is about two weeks ago, I wrote an ebook, which is a compilation of some of my most popularly downloaded tools for teachers. And when I say an ebook, I mean, I took all those tools and I consolidated them into one easy to get download. To get that, just go to my Facebook page and it's a resource guide for teachers. So those are the announcements and that gets you covered in terms of just general info. So for today's episode, and if you've been following the past couple of weeks, you know that I've had a number of really cool interviews with some really interesting people. Uh, I had Dr. Andrew Kim on and he's an orthopedic surgeon specializing in the hand, and I had Susan Weiss Bolin, and she is an Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic Vedic expert, and she talked to us all about the study and the science and the practice of Ayurveda. And I also had my friend Margaret Furtado on, who is a yoga teacher, and she recently graduated from medical school and matched at her dream hospital. And it was all about how you can follow your dreams and really make them a reality. So if you haven't caught any of those episodes, definitely go back and have a listen, especially 
the um, interview with Dr. Kim because he gets into the nitty gritty on hand anatomy. Now, today I'm doing obviously a solo episode. And what I wanted to do is piggyback on a conversation that I had in a training I held over the weekend. And this was a conversation on sequencing. And in this training, because one of the topics on our agenda was sequencing, it gave us a chance to really start to explore what are the steps to creating a yoga sequence. And this is something I've talked about on past episodes. However, number one, it's been a while since I've covered the topic. Number two, hello, it's a major topic for yoga teachers because I always say the main way we have to share what we know as teachers, especially when it comes to anatomy, is via the cues we say, the sequences we offer, and the conversations we have with students. So sequencing is right on in there as one of the most important things that we need to be able to do well. And so this makes it a really relevant topic. And the other thing is, over the past couple of months, as I've been uh, teaching uh, these anatomy trainings, I've had a lot of conversations with teachers around sequencing. And one of the things that I noticed when I talked to them is the poses that teachers are selecting for their sequences tend to be postures that are fairly complex. And I don't always get the sense that teachers are selecting those postures intentionally. I get the sense that they're kind of including them because that's what people do or that's in a class that they took. And this really gets to something that we're gonna talk about today, which is having a really clear intention behind what you offer in your sequence, especially if it's something that's on the more complex side. Now, you may be listening thinking, oh, well, what's complex to you might be easy to me. Well, that may be true. And certainly from the perspective of a, the skill level of your student and your students in class, there's going to be a variety of skill levels there. That may be the case. However, I think we can step back and take a look at what makes a pose more complex just from the perspective of um, not so much data, but just from the perspective of components of anatomy. And again, if you are watching on YouTube, you can see this because I have the skeleton here. You know, I think just really quickly, one of the things that makes a posture more complex is if the pose requires a significant range of motion from a joint. So let's take the shoulder joint, for instance. We've got the shoulder joint, which is a ball and socket. It moves in a variety of ways. One of the ways it can move is it can externally rotate. So that's a movement in the transverse plane where we're taking the head of the humerus back, where we are in yoga speak, opening the shoulders. Now, the muscles responsible for external rotation of the shoulders are two muscles of the rotator cuff. They're on the posterior aspect of the shoulder itself, teres minor and infraspinatus they attach the scapula to the humerus and they are responsible for external rotation. Now, as it turns out, because people hunch a lot, <laughs> those muscles don't really get a chance to do what they're built to do a lot. And so in many people, those muscles tend to be weak. Now, if we didn't know that, we might not you know, have that factor into the poses we pick. However, if we know that, it might mean that as we build sequences, we, yes, look for opportunities 
to strengthen those muscles. However, it might also um, lead us to not take people into certain variations where there is a big ask of those muscles to externally rotate. And a perfect example of this is side angle, extended side angle, and then having people move through the variations of taking the upper arm behind the back and then taking the double bind. I always use this one as an example because I think it's a really commonly offered pose with very commonly offered variations. And you know as well as I do, as soon as you offer a variation, people are going to do it, even if they don't have the requisite range of motion in order to get into the pose in a way that's steady. I'm not even really going to say safe because I don't want to use, I feel like references to safe yoga is just a triggering experience for teachers where we start to create this dichotomy of you're teaching in a safe way, you're teaching not, this pose is safe, this pose is not safe. I really want to get away from that because there's nothing inherent in yoga poses that makes them unsafe. It's often, if not always, in the way they're presented. Um, and to a certain extent, it could be something happening in the student's body that the teacher cannot could not possibly be aware of, but there isn't anything inherent in a yoga pose that makes it any more or less safe than going to the gym, going for a run or any other thing like that. Now, having said that, as teachers, this particular topic, when we're talking about sequencing and if we're gonna talk about safety, we should be aware of offering people variations that are going to be a big ask on joints that tend to not get opportunities to move in that way. So if you just think about in your own daily movement, do you do a lot of external rotation of the shoulders? If you say, well, maybe I do a little bit, what about a lot of external rotation of the shoulders. You probably don't do that. You probably never interlace your fingers behind your back when you're just in a normal day that doesn't include a yoga practice. So again, you know, we have to kind of think about the movements that people are doing during the day and the movements we're going to offer them opportunities to do when they're in class, because it's not as if they're going to walk into the studio and get some sort of magical fairy dust sprinkled on them and be completely mobile and flexible. They're coming <clears throat> to the yoga mat with all of the movement patterns that they have in their life. And that yoga class <clears throat> is just one moment in time for them where they are going to be faced with all of the results of movement or lack of movement and how it's impacted their body. And this is where things like when I was referring to conversations I had with teachers recently or over the past several months where they were sharing with me, oh, I'm offering people this pose and that pose as we were discussing their sequence. And I, in particular, was having conversations with teachers about sequences they were going to do when they auditioned for teaching jobs. And I was saying to them, you know, most people are not going to be able to do that pose in a way that's, let's just say in alignment. I don't, again, I don't want to say safely in, in alignment. And it's because it's a big ask. It's a big requirement. It asks for a lot of range of motion. Another posture that comes to mind when um, I think about this kind of thing is any kind of lotus variation. So if you're having people to come into tree, but then you're asking them to grab the foot and come into lotus, 
you know, that is asking for a lot of external rotation at the hip. So now we're looking at muscles on the posterior hip, like the piriformis and the quadratus femoris and the obturator muscles and the gemelli muscles. And depending on the person, those muscles might not have the requisite strength to externally rotate their hip. Additionally, the internal rotators like the tensor fascia lata and the adductor group might be tight. So those muscles might be, you know, constricting the external rotators attempt to externally rotate the hip enough so that the person can grab their foot and come into that lotus bound position versus just doing tree. Now you may be listening to this and you may think, well, gosh, Karen, are you asking us to just dilute our yoga sequences so that they're quote unquote, really easy? Well, I think we need to kind of reframe what easy is. And I also think quite frankly, we have to kind of reframe what it means to be a yoga teacher to the general public. I'm not talking about when you teach a workshop and I'm not talking about when you are, you know, teaching a small group of people in person, because I know a lot of us are teaching online right now because of the pandemic. I'm talking about when you're teaching general yoga classes to the general public in whatever setting that is, let's say a yoga studio or a gym, the majority of the people that are coming to your classes are going to be kind of in that middle zone where they're coming with the postural habits that most of the people in our, you know, world are, are, are exhibiting sitting a lot, hunching over their computer a lot. Let's just face it. Those two things have a whole, you know, list of muscular and, and musculoskeletal consequences that come along with them. And unless we can, you know, work with people really closely in a small group in person, we I think as yoga teachers really need to sort of scale back what we're offering people to take into account the reality of, you know, the general gist of who is coming to our classes. Now, does that mean if you're um, a teacher who's super excited to teach in a certain way, you want to create kind of a niche following, you can't do, no. You know, the really amazing thing is you can do whatever you want. This is the beauty of being a yoga teacher. You have free reign to express yourself in whatever way uh, the universe is calling you to do that. What I'm saying, though, is I believe you really need to do that responsibly. And the best way, one of the best ways to do that responsibly is to do your homework and have anatomy knowledge so that you really understand how what you offer is impacting or potentially impacting your students rather than just buying a book on sequencing, opening it up or remembering from your teacher training, those cool poses or watching somebody on YouTube. And that looks really cool. And then you go out and teach that. There's no intention behind that. There's no real knowledge behind that. It's just doing for the sake of doing. And so that's what I really want to caution you towards. But again, you can do whatever you want. And this is, you know, this is where, where the, the subject of like teacher integrity and being responsible, where all of that comes into play as well. So that's my very big intro <laughs> for today's topic 
on yoga sequencing. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually refer to a um, free PDF resource that I created. And it's all about how to create a yoga sequence. This is part of the tool that I referred to at the beginning of this episode, that ebook I talked about. However, you can get this right on my website. It's clearly right there on the homepage, barebonesyoga.com. Just go there and you will uh, be able to see this link and download it. So I wanna just go through the steps of creating a yoga sequence and give you a sense of kind of the flow of things. And keep in mind, this is a way to systematize, if that's a word, um, the process of creating sequences. You know, I remember a recent conversation I had with a teacher and she actually dropped a class that was on her schedule because she didn't have the time to plan for it. And she was explaining to me how she was doing all this preparatory work and creating sequences for these classes every week. And that just broke my heart because I never want a teacher to feel so burdened by preparing sequences that they get to a point where they just quit a particular class. Building sequences should be something that number one, follows a systematic approach. And number two is something that over time you build up a repertoire so that you're not always reinventing the wheel. If you are doing that or finding yourself, you know, compelled to do that, I really want you to ask yourself why. Why are you always changing your sequence? Now, there are good biomechanical, anatomical reasons for doing that, for giving people variety, many of which I learned through my own experience of, of having some challenges in my own body from doing the same thing over and over again. But more importantly, from my continued learning in anatomy, uh, understanding how important it is to have variety. However, that doesn't mean that every day or every week even you're changing from, you know, basically starting from ground zero. What that might look like is you have a standard sequence and from week to week, you might change a little piece of it. And so again, if you as a teacher are finding that you're always sitting down at the drawing board and starting with a blank sheet of paper, I wanna offer you a better way, a way that's less stressful and will take less time. Because let's face it, number one, you're not getting paid for the preparation you're doing. So let's just talk economics here. You're getting paid to teach the class and that's it. So you know, as much as you can just teach the class, and I'm not saying skimp on your responsibilities, but I'm just saying, you know, from the business side of things, the more you can show up and teach, the more of that revenue goes right into your pocket. The more preparation time you're doing, that's not time you're getting paid for. Okay, so that aside, the real issue though is how can we make the process easier so that it's less stressful for you and it's more effective? And anytime you can create a system for something, a task that you do a lot, the better it is. You know, think about anything in your life that you do in a process-driven way. Like for instance, I just moved into a new house here in January and my whole system of getting things done, whether it was, you know, house cleaning or doing laundry or food shopping, 
all of that got thrown up in the air. I had to learn the layout of a new grocery store. I had to learn, you know, kind of how to fit in the different tasks uh, of house cleaning and doing laundry and stuff in a different way. And it was all fun and it was all great. It just required that I develop a system. And now since January, I have a system. So now after multiple trips to the same grocery store, which I've never been in until I moved to this area, I completely know the layout. When I go into the store, I always go through the grocery store in the same way, even if I only need to pick up a couple things because I know exactly where things are. And inevitably, as I go through my pattern, I'll always see something that I do need at home. Additionally, just different things. I created a, you know, a closet where I store supplies. And so I know if I'm on one, you know, and I need something. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. I know you could go into all the detail. The point is I created a system. The more systems you have as a teacher, the less stress, the more organized, the less time, the more repeatable. As things are repeatable, we get to evaluate them. How's this working for us? I think you get the drift. Okay, so download the template right on my homepage. That way, when you listen to this episode, uh, if you listen to it again, you can follow along. Even if you don't, you'll have, after listening to this, the template that I'm referring to, and you can use it over and over and over again. All right, so how to build a yoga sequence. Step one, what is the overall point or objective of the sequence? Hello, sounds like an obvious question, but how many times do you ask yourself, you're going in to teach a class, are you just like rushing in there or turning on your computer to do your Zoom session and you're just like, okay guys, here we go. Take a moment, even if it's a sequence you've taught before, to ask yourself, what is the intention of this sequence? But more importantly, if you're gonna create a sequence from scratch, have an intention for what you're gonna do. What's gonna be the theme of this? What's the point of this? What are you trying to achieve? Not you personally, what are you trying to facilitate for the students who are coming to this class? Really, really important because that's your first opportunity to check yourself with respect to influences that may be influencing you and taking you away from your own authentic way of sharing the practice. You know, if you're finding yourself like, oh, well, I just watched this YouTube video and I wanna just reproduce this as best I can for my class, no. Now, if there was something in that YouTube video that spoke to a particular theme that you found was helpful to you as a practitioner or you thought from a high level would be helpful to students, for a particular reason, check yourself, articulate that reason to yourself, and that can become part of what your intention is. So that's there. What is the overall point or objective of the sequence? Who is the target audience, right? So again, this kind of gets to what I was talking about earlier. Is this for a particular niche group, you know, young people with generally a good amount of flexibility? Is this for athletes? Is it, you know, this, we're going to get into that detail a little bit more, but even just now, general target audience. And remember, especially right now where the majority of yoga is being taught online, or even if it's being taught in person, chances are the people going to in-person yoga classes have probably been home for the better part of the past year and a couple of months because of the pandemic. So this is not the time to be setting huge lofty goals for people in my opinion. I really think what our main focus should be when you look at who is the target audience, the target audience is anybody. The target audience is, 
I want this to be a yoga class that really anybody could do. I would suggest to you that as a teacher, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, that might be the most niche approach ever. Because what are most teachers out there probably doing? And, and I'm, maybe I'm assuming, I don't know, you know, doing a lot of things like double bound and lotus and all this kind of stuff that a lot of people just can't do. So in a paradoxical way, teaching a highly accessible class might be a really great way for you to distinguish yourself as a teacher, which sounds crazy because you would think there'd be more yoga out there for the general public and less niche yoga. But I really think, again, it gets to the influences and, and, and offering without the requisite knowledge to understand the impact of a particular pose. So who's your target audience? Now, again, I am not saying don't do what you want to do. If you want to teach headstands, handstands, arm balances, double binds, all of it, go for it. Just know that you are um, niching down to a particular group of people who are going to have the accessibility in their joints and the requisite strength and flexibility in their muscles to be able to do that. And additionally, if you're teaching all that stuff online, it's really hard to know how that's coming across and being illustrated in the poses that your students are doing. All right, so the next thing. So what is the overall point or objective of the sequence? Who is the target audience? Next thing is what level of experience is needed for the sequence? So this, of course, just follows along with everything we're talking about. So just take a moment, just kind of say to yourself, you know, what's the, what's the needed experience? Is this general? Is this beginner? Is this a little bit of experience with yoga? A lot of experience with yoga? Am I going to use a lot of Sanskrit? That's obviously not going to be something that most people understand. Am I going to also give them the English? Obviously, a lot of different ways this comes into play. The next thing, what is the energetic focus of the sequence? So this is where we start to get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty. Uh, I have things written here like restorative, active, or sports-related, functional movement, beginners, advanced, or other. So there's lots of different um, energetic focuses, you know, out there. And even energetic focus might not be the best way to encapsulate it. I think you get the sense. Like now we're drilling down a little bit further. If we said our talk, our target audience is anyone, this is going to be a highly accessible class. We might also pick something like functional movement as the energetic um, focus of the class versus something like the target audience is anybody and the focus is restorative. Like maybe our target audience would be a little niche down if the focus is restorative. Maybe not. Depends on what we're going to have people do. All right, so all of that is step one. So now in step two, now what we're doing is we're deciding what are the high level components of the sequence? So this is where we get into, most people are gonna start with something that's kind of a general warm up, And then from there, or a, a grounding, most people are gonna start with some kind of centering grounding sequence. And then from there, they're gonna move into something that kind of warms people up. And then from there, that's where the sequence really starts to take shape and distinguish itself, especially if you're going to be working people to a peak pose or you have a specific anatomical theme. That's when you may, you may have actually already touched on this in the first two sections, but that's where you're really going to start to offer people poses that 
start to share what the theme of your sequence is. So on the list here, I have things like the grounding part of the sequence, the warm up part, twisting movements, balancing movements, lateral movements, side to side, back bends, hip focus, inversions, restorative and rest. So there may be more on your list, uh, there may be less. This just gives you kind of a high level series of topics that you can pick from. Are you gonna do a whole bunch of twists in every practice? No. Are you gonna do a bunch of inversions in every practice? No. So obviously you're gonna pick and it's going to follow on from what you started out with, your intention, the overall point, the target audience, the level of experience. I want you to really notice how this is all following sequentially. So we're not just kind of starting in the middle of picking poses before we start at the top and setting intention. And then step three is where you get to the point of picking the poses because now everything has been laid out. You've laid out the groundwork. You've decided what sections go into your sequence. And now you can actually pick the poses, right? You can actually pick the poses. Now, I wanna just say um, a couple things in terms of sequencing. So keep in mind, there's just a couple high level things. Keep in mind that the more you give somebody to do, the more work it is for them, both physically and mentally. So if I'm taking somebody through a series of balances and I have on one leg more than three, more than really two um, things to do, that's gonna be physically harder for them on the standing leg side and mentally harder for them to do. Think also about joint movement. If I take somebody, and again, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. If I take somebody from warrior one, which is front facing, and I have them come into warrior two, which is side facing, I'm gonna have a whole bunch of joint kind of compensation movements that show up that I really need to be aware of in order to get them into better alignment and not have them start to develop some of the you know, some of the negative side effects of having joints out of alignment. So keep in mind, you know, that's something to think about when you're doing your sequencing. What kinds of things are you linking together? And also, if you do find yourself linking a bunch of things together, really stop and ask yourself why you're doing this. You know, whenever you're progressing in a sequence, instead of in a way, regressing it, meaning just presenting it in a pure way. Do this, do this, do this, do this, versus do this, then add on this, then add on this. Why are you doing that, right? So sometimes it's to keep it interesting. Sometimes it's to make it harder. And I, I get that. Just keep in mind, you want to have a good intention behind it. And like the things I'm talking about here, you want to be aware of the impact on the person in terms of what does it mean kind of from an anatomy standpoint to go from a position where the pelvis is centered towards the front of the mat and now we're turning the pelvis to the side. Uh, what does it mean to work from the ground and then come right up? If you have, let's say somebody in some kind of uh, crescent twist and then you have them come up and go into triangle, you know, what does, what kind of requirement is there for their nervous system, for their joints, for their muscles? And also just on a really basic level, how many things you link together just takes more effort for the person to process. And we know from a, just an exercise standpoint, the more we give people to do, in many cases, their proficiency at that is going to degrade. And so if we want people to have the best opportunity to stay in good alignment, 
to stay steady in their poses, we'd be better served, they'd be better served, if we would cut all of this linking of stuff and we would just basically say, do this, hold, do that, hold. And pace is always a variable that can lend itself to providing challenge without using complex sequencing as a way to present challenge. If I have people holding poses longer, that presents a challenge without having to link a bunch of poses together. Now, of course, a sequence is linking poses together, but I want to make the distinction between just the general linkage of poses in a sequence versus within the sequence, linking a bunch of things together or doing a bunch of things like I was saying earlier on the same leg that fall into the category of balance, that kind of thing. So, you know, when you download the PDF that lays this all out, you're going to see I run through an actual example. I'm not going to do that now. Um, I wanted here to really go over kind of high level what the considerations are when you're building your sequences. And remember, the overarching idea of this is to really give you a systematic way to approach building sequences. If you're feeling any sense of overwhelm around creating sequences to help address that in, in a positive functional way. And really from an overall standpoint, to give you a chance to check in with yourself around why you're offering the things that you are and to make sure that whatever you're doing in your sequencing really resonates with you and your true purpose as a teacher. And I'm going to end this episode by really, um, you know, offering you, not offering you, but really um, uh, sharing just this, this idea that in order for us whether it's sequencing or cues, whatever it is, to be able to do that in an authentic way, meaning we feel comfortable doing it. Like I feel totally comfortable and in my true zone of authentic way of being, standing here and talking to you now. I don't feel like I'm trying to be like anybody else. I don't feel influenced by anybody else. I feel really comfortable sharing what I'm sharing. And that's a feeling that I want for you as well. Now, the way that you get there is, sounds kind of funny, is you really kind of disconnect from the external influences and you spend time with yourself asking yourself questions about what kind of teacher do I want to be? What kind of students do I want to help? How do I want to help them? What do I want to be offering them? How do I want to present it? What kinds of training might help me do those things in a better way. Like there are so many good questions you can ask yourself as a teacher that as you sit in silence and ask yourself these questions, your intuition, I was going to say your intuitive nature, but your intuition, your inner teacher is going to start to, you know, answer. And, and that's how you're going to really find, I think, how you're really going to find your way much more than letting the external influences sway you to teaching in a particular way or saying things in a particular way. And once you lock in on all of what makes you 
an authentic teacher, that's when your confidence is going to go up and your connection with your students, even if you're just teaching on Zoom, your connection online, your connection with your students is really going to grow because everything you say is going to be coming from you. Uh, now, having said that, you may be thinking, well, that sounds great, Karen, but I really don't feel like I have enough anatomy knowledge in order to share uh, cues with students. Well, remember what I said at the beginning, you're going to follow my Instagram series last week and this week, watch the ones from last week, and then you're going to come to my webinar, my free training and launch party next Wednesday at 5 p.m. I'm going to give you all sorts of information about cues, how to give effective cues, and also open enrollment for my program on anatomy, which, no surprise, teaches you anatomy in a step-by-step -step way. So we have come to the end of this podcast episode. This is really the first one I'm doing in this video and audio format. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope the video aspect has been clear and good for you. I hope the audio aspect has also been clear. I would love to hear any feedback you have, especially if you're watching this on YouTube. So if you are watching it on YouTube, please leave a comment. If you're listening via the podcast, send me a DM post on my social media pages in some way let me know that you listened and what came up for you as you listened i want to thank you so so much if you reached the end of this episode i want to give you a huge shout out for sticking with it uh, i consider listening to podcasts continuing education and so i really want to just give you a, a shout out for staying focused and staying on and absorbing whatever information resonated with you Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for supporting this podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers, and I'll see you on the next episode. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.